Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. I am once again recording today's episode from the inside of a sailboat. So once again, you may hear a few interesting sounds of uh, being uh, tied up to a dock, um, some squeaking as the boat rubs up against some bumpers, some seagulls flying by, some clanking of some masts of other sailboats around me, and so forth. So hopefully that can just kind of contribute to the overall experience of listening to today's episode. Um, again, this is unusual times during the um, stay-at-home order, and my husband and I have just determined that this is a creative solution so that we can both have time to be able to have focused work time and tag team a bit when it comes to our children. So today is one of his home days to work from home, and today is my boat office day, and I'm here to record today's episode, which I am really excited about. Um, The topic today is raising children with learning differences. This has been a topic I have wanted to cover on my podcast for quite some time, and it is a topic that I am very, very uh, familiar with. It is quite personal in terms of my own experiences with learning differences, both in myself and also in some of my children. And also with my background as an elementary school teacher, this is something that I um, was quite familiar with um, being a public school teacher for seven years full time and 10 additional year, uh, sorry, three additional years part-time. So uh, this topic, raising children with learning differences, is something that I knew I wanted to cover on this podcast and bring my own story and also provide some tips. Um, if this is new to you, or even if it's not new, even if your child's already been identified with learning differences, it's always helpful to be reminded of some helpful things to keep in mind and tips when it comes to parenting a child with learning differences. So as I said, this is a topic that I know quite well on a personal level. Um, In my household, there's six of us, and there are three of us who have been formally diagnosed with uh, at least one, if not multiple learning differences. Um, My spouse, my husband, has never been formally diagnosed, but we have self-diagnosed, or he has self-diagnosed himself once he understood uh, learning differences with uh, ADHD. And my youngest daughter, who is five, she'll be six in September, has, we already have our eye on her, that there there are some indicators that perhaps um, this might be part 
part of understanding who she is as a learner and individual. So, but she's young, too young to be go through um, formal diagnosis at this point. But we have our eye on her, and if. Uh, over, over the next year or two, if we continue to see some signs of um, possibility of learning differences, we'll follow through with having her assessed to make sense of that as well. So starting with my own story, growing up, academics and school um, in the traditional format was very challenging for me. Um, I was assessed at a young age. I was identified as being on the you know more gifted end of the intelligence, um, the IQ test, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about in a way that doesn't make it sound like I'm bragging about how smart I am or something of that na nature. But with that test I was given as a kindergartner, um, there were certain expectations that went along with that that were just not um, being met by my what I was accomplishing in school. And teachers along the way would kind of share their observations with my parents, and my parents um, had me uh, tested with multiple specialists through the years. Um, for a while, uh, I was thought that I had maybe some weakness in my eyes and their ability to kind of work synchronized. Um, there was some, you know, different different ideas about what might be going on for me and while I was not, um, why I was not achieving um, according to what my ability, uh, my cognitive ability appeared to be. Um, and I, gosh, I went to all kinds of therapists um, working on my eyes. I um, went through a period of wearing glasses, thinking maybe there was something going on with my vision. Um, I worked with countless tutors through the years to try and support me and help me um, in my learning, but nothing was ever officially flagged or identified until um, way later on in my schooling. In fact, not until my junior year in high school. Um, along the way, the, the um, school I attended from seventh through 12th grade was an all-girls school and it was highly academic and very rigorous. And um, there was not a resource teachers um, at the time. Um, and everybody was kind of presented with the same types of uh, coursework and expected to keep up. And if you didn't keep up, then parents would oftentimes hire tutors and whatnot to, um, to try and help their child. And that was definitely what it looked like for me as well. Um, there were some teachers at the school that were able to kind of make sense a little bit of some of what they saw. Um, I might have not done well on a math test, for example, but when the teacher kind of looked through it, um, she would identify that actually I did quite well on the portion I finished, but I didn't finish the test and that's why my score was lower. I had another science teacher who observed the same thing, that actually my understanding of the concepts was quite strong. I just wasn't finishing or I was kind of rushing towards the end. And the beginning part of my test was pretty accurate. And then as I completed the test, there was a lot of mistakes, a lot of inaccuracies, or it was not complete. These teachers, both the science teacher and my math teacher, um, just went ahead and allowed me to come in and start my test earlier than my classmates. And that was um, a big help, although it was not an official accommodation. But eventually, um, I had yet another assessment done by a psychologist who was finally able to identify that I had, in fact, ADHD without the hyperactivity component. And um, at the same time, I was also being assessed by yet another vision specialist who identified that I had a visual processing um, learning difference having to do with uh, my eyes and how it processes light um, 
paper and dark print. And uh, having that formal diagnosis finally made, came for me with a sense of relief and understanding of myself that really made me feel um, so much better about myself and understanding some of the challenges I faced as um, a child growing up who was struggling academically in school. Um, but despite these struggles, I always had a positive outlook. And one of the main reasons why was because my parents also recognized at a young age um, that I had a, a talent in music and they supported my talent in music. Uh, my primary instrument is my voice and I took voice lessons and was able to perform and really uh, develop a great sense of kind of accomplishment through my talent um, with singing and uh, that being able to focus on the areas that I had strength, that I had gifts versus the areas that were challenges for me really was a part of me not having a, like a super negative outlook. I kind of really focused on my music and the classes I was able to take, uh, particularly at this very academically rigorous school. Um, the fact that I was not achieving as well academically um, was also matched by the fact that I was achieving a lot in music and my voice. And so that was really helpful for me in terms of having that that balance uh, perspective and a more positive, positive outlook. Um, but since my diagnosis came so late in my schooling, I went on to college and for the very first time ever at the university I attended, I received uh, services and accommodations for my learning differences. And it was the first time that I actually had true academic success at a whole new level. Um, I would say because of having just a few accommodations, namely extended time, and in some cases, kind of alternate ways in which to show my work, in particular, the use of word processing and computers versus handwritten work were a huge help. And moving forward, my degree was in education, and as an, when I was being trained as a teacher and also in my years working as a teacher, I always had my radar out for students that for me uh, were presenting as having learning differences and I would be able to communicate that with parents and encourage assessments and whatnot. And then as a mother, I've also had my radar out on my own children, kind of looking for some of the, the typical signs you see and what, knowing what to look for in um, my children understanding that there is a genetic component often to learning differences, knowing that I had learning differences, there was a good chance that at least one of my children may as well. And that did in fact end up being the case. So when my oldest daughter was in school, um, there were some certain things that we started recognizing and picking up on. And initially I had her assessed just for language in particular writing. And she was formally diagnosed as having dysgraphia, which is a learning difference having to do with writing, often with um, challenges having to do with spelling, punctuation, letter formation, and so on. Um, and then a bit later, when she was in fifth grade, um, her teacher said, you know, I think there might be a little bit more going on. And that's when we went ahead and had a full battery of assessment done for our daughter. And that's when she was formally diagnosed with ADHD dyscalculia, and then again, reconfirmed the um, 
dysgraphia. Dyscalculia, if you're not familiar, has to do with learning differences in the area of math and numbers, and uh, and that's her. Uh, my second born, my son, uh, we had our radar even a little bit more sh sharply um, out for him, and when he was in second grade, when things were showing up for him, both socially and academically, we did the full battery then, and he was diagnosed with both ADHD, dysgraphia, and um, as well. And then uh, my third-born daughter, nothing has um, come up in terms of learning difference that is diagnosable. However, she uh, is not very far ahead academically. Um, so she has a different type of learning difference. Uh, again, I've never had her formally assessed, but she is... Um, reading and writing two to three years ahead of grade level, um, which also indicates a different type of learning difference from the ones I've already mentioned. But at this point, um, she's doing fine and the teachers are able to accommodate for her providing extra challenge and keeping her doing work that meets um, where she is academically. But um, she's never been formally diagnosed, so I don't have her necessarily in um, that category. And then my youngest, who's five, almost six, we have our eye out. Um, the teachers are already commenting that they're seeing a few things that might indicate possibly ADHD. But again, she's very young and uh, developmentally, some of this might just be part of her personal journey. So we're just keeping our eye out and continuing to see any indications of if that is something to consider for her as well. Um, I mentioned that my husband was self-diagnosed. That came when my, I've always kind of said I was suspicious and I, I thought he might have ADHD and he was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And just some of the clear indicators that I've kind of understand about myself, I saw in him as well. And funny enough, when we went to hear uh, a speaker present about ADHD and raising kids shortly after our son was diagnosed. It was about five minutes into the talk. He kind of turned over and whispered in my ear, yeah, I totally have ADHD. And we kind of laughed about it even still. Um, but in terms of our family and our personal experiences, this is, like I said, something we know a lot about on a very personal level. So now I'm going to jump in on uh, 10 tips for those of you for whom this may be new or something you're considering to help you when it comes to raising children's learning differences. Tip one, know the signs of learning differences. Some of the real common ones um, are high sensitivity. I devoted a whole episode to the topic of high sensitive kids and raising them, uh, episode 24, Parenting the Highly Sensitive Orchid Child. So if you aren't as familiar with uh, high sensitivity and what it looks like in kids, you might want to go there for some more background. But children who are highly sensitive oftentimes have learning differences. Another sign is impulse control that may be less developed than peers. Um, a lot of frustration around learning. Sometimes this can happen early on um, when children are first learning to read or write, that they're highly frustrated and they just don't seem to be picking it up um, the way that uh, you would expect them to. That could be a sign. However, sometimes kids pick up on some of the basics, reading and writing and math, and they're kind of doing okay, not a high level of frustration until they get to around second or third grade. That's oftentimes when you'll hear teachers say that sometimes the quote unquote wheels fall off. And a child who has been able to kind of um, progress 
pretty much at grade level, seems to have now increased frustration. The demands on them academically start to become um, increased, and so therefore the frustration, they can't keep up, things are taking longer, um, and they kind of go adapt, go into the sense of overwhelm and shutdown. So it's um, that's another sign, and, and one you can kind of typically see it. Another sign, difficulty following directions, forgetting things, uh, losing things all the time are other common signs. Um, and also surprisingly to a lot of parents who think, oh, my child does not have ADHD. They can sit there on the floor and focus on something like doing a, um, putting together a Lego for hours or doing an art project for hours and I, I don't even hear from them. That also surprisingly can be a sign of certain types of learning differences, in particular ADHD, the ability to hyper-focus on areas of high interest. Um, so knowing those signs and knowing that extreme focus can actually be a sign of certain types of learning differences can be really helpful. Tip two, if you think maybe you're picking up on some of these signs from your child, do not fear having them diagnosed and tested, and do not fear a potential label that they might have if it is determined that they have some type of a learning difference. Um, in the 3D parent approach, I talk a lot about making sense of your child, getting to understand them, what makes them tick, who they are. This is part of that. So if your child is struggling in some of the areas I just mentioned, this is part of making sense of who they are so knowledge is power, and if you are able to have your child tested, either through your public school test, um, system or by a private uh, educational um, psychologist who assesses kids for learning differences, this will help you make sense of your child, which in turn will help you make more space and have more empathy for your child and their particular needs. You'll feel more equipped to support your child in these unique needs, and you'll be also better able to advocate for your child in school and activities where it's necessary. So do not fear this the so-called label, a lot of that is a carryover of generation. And when we grew up, we didn't really talk about learning differences. Um, it was something that was kind of kept very private. And a lot of parents didn't want people to know or didn't want to have their kids tested um, because they didn't want them to be labeled. That would hold them back in life. In fact, the very opposite is true. An official diagnosis of a learning difference, you're not allowed to discriminate against a child. In fact, that gives you grounds to be able to advocate and ask for accommodations that can help support your child in being more successful by leveling the playing field. So that's very, very important. Also, your child, you might be fearing that your child might get kind of a label. There's a chance that your child already may be developing a label, but a label that is not warranted or fair. Sometimes children who have impulse control challenges have a reputation of being behavior problems, when in actuality, there is a learning difference that's making impulse control more challenging. So it's great to be able to flush this information out so your child doesn't end up receiving um, discipline measures that are not warranted or appropriate given their learning difference. So do not fear the diagnosis, embrace it. It helps make sense. And if nothing turns up, great. You have an answer to that question. If something does turn up, now you have knowledge that's gonna help you in your parenting of your child. 
Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Tip three, embrace a strength-based approach to understanding your child's learning difference. You may notice that I've never once, um, unless I did so and uh, spaced, but I've never once used the term learning disability. I wanna encourage you to erase learning disability and the word disability from your vocabulary and help others make this change. I was raised, I was taught that I had learning disabilities. When I received services in college, it was at the disabled student services. Disability, disabled, this language is not helpful. It's damaging and it is tied to a lot of bias and negative practices. So we need to instead change the language which is learning difference, and along with that, a strength-based approach. Now, here's what I mean by that. Your child's learning difference also happens to be their superpower. Now, this is an area where I really, really failed with my firstborn. Um, I kind of uh, made sense of her learning differences in stages. And because of that, she didn't get to fully understand and embrace her learning differences as something that was positive. We were presented with the term disability. Uh, she was told that she had a learning disability. She had accommodations because of her disability. And her perspective on her learning difference has been negative. We're working, we're continuing to work with her to look at it with a new lens and different eyes, but we're having to kind of do a lot of cleanup along the way. She, uh, you know, when she was younger, especially, she used to always compare herself to others and she felt less smart. Um, she felt like she struggled more than people, other kids. She didn't want to um, use the accommodations that were uh, warranted due to her learning difference. And she often wished that she didn't have these differences. It did help when she entered a wider population, a wider pool in high school and realized that she was not alone. Um, she recognized other people, people she was friends with or becoming friends with who also had learning differences. So there was a sense of solidarity with her peers and a normalizing of her experience, which was helping and it still continues to help. And also as she's getting older, she's building stronger, stronger muscles um, and learning what accommodations and tools really help. Things like uh, having books and audio format um, that she listened to on a very increased speed because that's the speed at which her brain um, takes in information. I listen to it and it's too fast for me. I go to sensory overwhelm, but for her, listening to audiobooks at increased speed works great for her. Also, typing versus written word, huge help for her. With my son, uh, when he was diagnosed, granted he was younger, uh, we sent the services, we uh, sought the services of a um, Seattle and Boston-based uh, center called the Hallowell Tadaro ADHD Center. And we were introduced to this language around strength-based approach with my um, son. And here's the difference. He, different from my daughter, he feels like he won the lottery when brains were being passed out. Um, they, they teach this concept, and I love the language. They say that you have a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. What kid doesn't want to have a Ferrari brain? That sounds really cool. 
and really interesting. And like, yeah, I did win the lottery. The fact they, they're taught their brains are so powerful and can do so much, which is by the way, hundred percent true. But along with that comes some things that makes make certain things a little bit more challenging and that's the bicycle brakes. So when he recognizes like, oh my gosh, I got the world's best brain, but there are some things that make it a little tricky, especially at my age to be able to manage this super powerful brain. And that's where we come in and we provide supports, accommodations and things to help him so that he can take advantage of all the gifts that come with learning differences. So again, he has a much more positive relationship with his learning differences. So if your child has a diagnosis of anything having to do with a learning difference, educate yourself and your child and anyone who interacts with your child about not only the challenges, but also the gifts that come with your child's learning difference. Um, this happened, uh, there was a, a time when my daughter, um, after she'd been diagnosed with dysgraphia, uh, one of her teachers during our conference, she brought out kind of her journal and she goes, I need help making sense of this because I'm looking at our journal here. And on these pages, the handwriting is really neat and legible and the spelling's pretty decent. And then when I look at these pages, I can barely read it. And the handwriting is super sloppy. And I looked at that and I said, oh yeah, I understand what this is. Let me help you make sense of my child. And then I could share with uh, my child's teacher who was 100% just trying to help understand how to support her and her learning, I can help understand that when my daughter was doing one task, it was copying over something. It was a final draft of, of a piece of writing. When she was doing the writing that was harder to read, that was original thought. And I explained to her that my daughter's brain moves really fast and she has a lot of ideas coming out of her all at once. And when her brain is trying to send that information down to her hand, her hand has trouble keeping up with how fast her thoughts are firing. And she feels like she's got to get those ideas down on paper. Otherwise she'll forget them. Again, very typical of a child who has ADHD, but also very common for a child who also has dysgraphia where things like spelling, she can memorize spelling words and spit them back out and get a good grade on a spelling test, but she wouldn't retain it when she was um, having to recall that word, you know, weeks later, even days later, I'm doing something like writing an original story because her brain was focused on like the most important task at hand, which is get these ideas out. So some of the other things would kind of fall away and become a struggle. So helping um, my, uh, my child's teacher understand this, I'm like, look at this. She has so many great ideas. Her brain is moving at such rapid speed. She is incredibly creative when it comes to her story writing. There's all those strengths. But this is a challenge for her for these reasons. And here are some of the challenges. And then we can kind of brainstorm ways to support her and help her um, along the ways. Eventually, uh, keyboarding got introduced. Um, we really focused on that in her fourth grade year. And then she could type much faster than she could handwrite. And that ended up being a great accommodation that she could keyboard and type all of her written work and keep up. Um, with her, what her brain was producing at a much faster rate than her handwriting could do. Um, tip four, identify your child's role models. So again, this goes kind of hand in hand with that strength-based approach. When you learn that your child has a diagnosis of a learning difference, find out who else out there that might inspire your child has the same or similar learning difference. I'm not joking when I say that it is like 
a gift and this Ferrari brain thing is right. If you go and you kind of Google and look up, um, or you do an internet search on who also has similar learning differences, you're going to find world leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, artists, musicians, political activists. Identify those people and share them with your children. Here's a handful. Uh, Simone Biles and Michael Phelps, both Olympic gold medal winning champions, Michael Phelps, 22 Olympic medals, both have ADHD. Uh, Justin Timberlake and Will I Am, uh, both musicians, they both have ADHD. There is, let's see, Chef Jamie Oliver, he has ADHD and dyslexia. Uh, Emma Watson, who doesn't want to be like the actress who played Hermione in the Harry Potter movies? She also happens to be a UN Goodwill ambassador. She also has ADHD. Um, Lisa Ling, she's a journalist and a television personality. Interestingly enough, she was not diagnosed with ADHD until she was an adult. Um, but that's another person that is very interesting um, to use as a role model. Sir Richard Bran Branson, the founder of Virgin Airlines, like an incredible entrepreneur. He is involved with space tourism and he's built an underwater airplane. He has ADHD. Uh, John F. Kennedy, ADHD. Walt Disney, ADHD and dyslexia. Um, da Vinci and Picasso were both believed to have dyslexia. Author Agatha Christie, also dyslexia. How about this one? Alexander Graham Bell, who created and invented telephone, had dyslexia as well. So there are many, many more. That's just a handful of role models that your child can kind of be like, oh my gosh, I'm like these people. How cool is that? Uh, tip number five, provide physical and or creative outlets for your child to help them discover their gifts. You might notice in that list of people I just read off, how many of them are creatives and how many of them are athletes. Physical outlets can really help with some aspects of certain learning differences, in particular ADHD. So providing physical outlets to kind of help your child regulate areas that are challenging for them because of learning difference, um, physical outlets can be great. Same, um, also, it's a bit of an equalizer because uh, Sports and athletics don't require proficiency in some things that are more challenging to a child with learning differences. So it can be an equalizer because they're not, they're not comparing themselves or being compared to peers on things that are more challenging. If they're working on something like physical outlets, uh, there's an equalizer that learning differences are not as pronounced in most cases. Um, also, as I noted with all the people, I, the list of people I read, you also noted there were a lot of people gifted in the arts. So uh, this is another superpower of some learning differences. So exploring the arts with your child, this might be a wonderful outlet and source of them developing a real positive self-image of themselves. This certainly was the, the big, big one for me growing up. Um, even though my learning difference was not um, identified until later, the fact that I had this outlet through music, through the arts was hugely empowering for me um, as I was growing up and having that uh, that strength and that gift, something that I could um, really focus on when other things were challenging for me was helpful. Tip number six, never punish or shame a child for something that is resulting from their learning difference. Things like calling your child lazy, careless, messy, forgetful, sloppy with their work. You need to do the work as your child's parent um, and help others who interact with your child make a shift in your thinking to recognizing what is inherently challenging to your child due to their difference and then provide appropriate supports. 
So this is another reason why having your child uh, assessed and potentially diagnosed could really help you move away from feeling like there's something wrong with your child to, oh, here's a piece of my child's puzzle that makes sense. Let me support my child given the particular differences that they may have. Tip seven, create routines, structures, checklists to help your child stay on track. Break things up into manageable chunks. When you tell your child, go clean up your room, that's overwhelming and frankly, kind of boring for a child who has learning differences. Do they still need to do it? Absolutely, but they need help. Just looking at a room full of uh, stuff that needs to be picked up or put away is overwhelming to a child ha who has learning differences. So break things up into manageable chunks. Take a look at the room and say, okay, how about you pick up all the books and put them on the shelves? When that's done, um, I'll give you the next task. And so if you give, if you chunk things into smaller bits, it's less um, overwhelming. When giving instructions to your child, make sure they're very clear and direct. Um, you can also utilize things like timers or set uh, verbal reminders on devices that you may have to help your child stay on task or remind them of things that they need to do. Um, kind of one step at a time. Again, that chunking concept. Tip eight, seek the help and advice and support of professionals and other parents. Um, there are a lot of services that are available, things like coaching services for both parents and children who have learning differences. You may want to um, look into nutrition and how nutrition might be able to help your child with their learning differences. There's lots of studies about how different foods can have um, can uh, make more challenges for kids who have things like ADHD. So take a look at maybe perhaps looking at your child's nutrition. You may want to consider medication management. Um, I would steer clear of anyone who says that all your child needs is a, a medication. And, and that will be that will be all they need um, to help them with their learning difference to manage their learning difference. Medication should always be hand in hand with other supports and services, um, and that is a very personal decision that parents need to make with and for their child. However, if you are working with uh, professionals and you're upfront about your reservations or your desire to explore if medication might be a good fit for your child, they can share with you the pros and cons, the possible side effects, the things to keep in mind when you're making that decision for you um, and your child. Hire tutors. Many tutors and school districts have free or low cost or sliding scales if hiring of tutors or academic coaches for your children is a financial concern for you or something that feels cost prohibitive, there are services that provide that free of charge or low sliding scale. So investigate that. If in the process of understanding and facing your child's diagnosis might come along with a little bit of grief on the uh, parent side, make sure that you process that grief and you take care of um, those feelings that might emerge, but do so privately and or with friends or helping professionals. I don't want to sugarcoat this. It is very challenging to raise a child or children learning differences. So seeking support is important. There are a lot of online communities for parents. I'm a part of several myself where you can interact with parents who have children who have similar learning differences and find out what's working for them or just vent or to say, I'm really having a hard time facing this right now. But it's again, very important that this not be shared with your child. You don't want your child to 
feel in any way, shape, or form that they're an increased burden because of their learning difference. Um, this can cause damage to your relationship and feelings that um, of, of unconditional love and acceptance that you want your child to be feeling. And then again, like I said, find those networks of parents. It is overwhelming when your child is first diagnosed. These people have been there. They too have walked in your shoes and they're maybe a little further ahead in the process of finding out what works for their child. And so they can help guide you and provide that support. Um, tip nine, advocate for your child. When your child is first diagnosed, familiarize yourself with common accommodations for that particular learning difference. Recognize that these are not crutches. These are meant to level the playing field for your child. And so advocate and ask for these accommodations. It's better to over-accommodate and then remove those that are deemed unnecessary over time than to under-ask and have to keep on requesting more and more uh, accommodations. So if your child is identified as having a particular learning difference and a bunch of accommodations are suggested, ask for all of them, absolutely all of them. And then you can adjust as needed after. Um, I also suggest communicating early and often with your child's teacher or teachers. You may even want to consider making a one sheet, and um, I will include an example of this in my show notes, what I mean by this. So a one sheet would be like a photo of your child, a description of their learning difference, including the strengths and challenges, and also any tools or accommodations or strategies that work really well and any in particular to avoid. And to provide this for um, your child's teacher at the very beginning of the year and also request that this uh, one sheet be provided to any other teachers or teacher's aides or substitute teachers who may interact with your child throughout the course of the year. Um, that is uh, something to kind of help right away make sense of your child uh, to their teacher so that the teacher can be kind of brought to speed and be able to help connect and support your child in their learning. Um, and then just don't don't be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. Um, sometimes parents think, well, gosh, I don't want to bug the teacher. They already have so much on their plate. That is 100% true that teachers have a lot on their plate, but they want to be able to meet the needs to the best of their ability of all their students and you providing this insight and ideas and um, suggestions right off right off the bat is going to help your child it's uh, your child's teacher it's going to help remove some of that burden because you've done some of the work for them initially and then they can take it from there and further meet the needs that your child indicates that is um, seems necessary for your child and then the tenth tip consider having yourself and or your spouse assessed if appropriate. It's not uncommon for a child to be diagnosed and then for the parent to say, gosh, I'm realizing looking back that I may have a lot of similar, you know, challenges and also gifts that sound a lot like my child's um, learning difference. Again, as I said earlier on, there's a, there is a genetic component to learning differences. And if you, think that might also be you. It can be really helpful to make sense of that for yourself and to learn about yourself and your own potential learning differences or your spouses as you are helping to support your child. It's another way you can connect on that sameness level. Um, it's a way in which uh, we found a lot of humor um, with my older kids as we kind of identify like, oh gosh, had a crazy ADHD moment uh, and things of that nature that, um, 
you know, I, I sometimes have the best of intentions to remind my kids of something and then I forget and they forget and we all forget. And I'm like, well, gosh, we need to make a different plan next time. We need to make a new plan because all of us um, our ADHD brains took over and we all forgot. So we need a better strategy next time. And we could find humor in that shared experience. Um, and it might, like I said, it might help you find more empathy for your child if you recognize that. I know my mom has reflected on all she's learned about me and my learning differences and her grandchildren, my kids. And she's looking back and recognizing, gosh, you know what? I'm pretty sure I was undiagnosed and I have a lot of the similar and still do have a lot of the sim similar um, descriptions that uh, I'm now coming to understand as a particular learning difference. Um, so it can really be helpful in not only helping your child, but also being a better parent to your child by better understanding yourself. So those are my 10 main tips uh, about parenting children with learning differences. I understand. I understand that it might feel overwhelming, but although it may feel overwhelming and scary at first, soon you'll find that raising a child with learning differences is a gift. You just need to open up and embrace this particular present. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one -on -one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.